hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. The single most reoccurring question we get is, how do I get my partner on the same page as me when it comes to managing our money? It's the whole reason we created the Couples Money Guide. So if getting two people on the same page is challenging, what's it like getting more than two people, adults in a polyamorous relationship, on the same page? That's the subject of today's Queer Money, managing your personal finances in a polyamorous relationship. What are the similarities? What are the differences? And how can it be easier? Find out next. We make the Queer Money podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at deffreeguys.com, and we may answer it in an upcoming episode. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. The foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. A bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score powered by Experian Boost and watch your credit score improve by 5 to 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash boost. Now, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. This week, John and I are going to be talking about or sharing with you a topic that we are not that familiar with. And that's why we've asked an expert in this particular area to come on the show with us. We're talking about polyamory and managing money in a polyamorous relationship. Now, we asked out there in the Queer Money Facebook group, if you yourself or are in or you know of someone who is in a polyamorous relationship, and we think it's kind of interesting that roughly it's almost even. Uh, 16 people said no, 14 people said yes. So there's a significant number of individuals out there who either are or know of someone in a polyamorous relationship. And that means that there's probably some levels of financial management that is different. And that's why we have asked Michelle Waymeyer, who is a financial planner and a financial coach, who is also in a polyamorous relationship, to join us to talk about this topic, to give us some insight, and also provide those of you who are also in a polyamorous relationship some suggestions on how you can up your game when it comes to money in your relationship. So thanks for joining us, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, I mentioned that you are a financial coach and a financial planner, but you also have a website, Young and Scrappy, and this is one of the topics that you focus on, correct? Yeah, I do work with a lot of poly folks. I think uh, we tend to be a a fairly tight-knit community in a lot of senses, and so just naturally you know, that's that's a group that I care about serving and I'm fortunate to do so. So I think probably for those of you who aren't familiar, the first question most people would ask is, what is polyamory? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So polyamory is actually an absolute cluster of a word, linguistically speaking. So poly comes from Greek for many or several. And then the second piece of that more is comes from Latin for love. So it's sort of like this Greek Latin mishmash that means many loves. And I think it's important to note that polyamory specifically means many loves with the consent of everyone involved. So it's not you know, it's not cheating. It's not getting a little on the side. I mean, everybody is is sort of given their adult consent as part of this relationship. And when we say love, you know, I think most people's mind kind of jumps to like the sexual piece. But obviously, we're talking about romantic love as well. Every relationship looks different, you know, just as, as a more traditional relationship might differ. So polyamory can come in many forms, but at its core, it really is just many loves with the consent of everyone involved. So I guess then, because there are so many varieties out there, do you mind sharing with us what your relationship looks like? Yes, absolutely. So I am in what's called a closed triad. So I have two other partners. The three of us live together, function kind of as a family unit. And the closed piece of that means that we don't currently have other partners. We're not really dating anybody else at this point. So it's it's just the three of us. We joke a little bit that on the poly spectrum, you know, we're a little bit vanilla as far as that goes. But on the monogamy spectrum, we're like really spicy. So we're sort of like spicy monogamy a little bit right now. But, you know, it's really, I think, common for relationships to grow and change and evolve over time, particularly in the poly space as you're figuring out what your needs are, what your partner's needs are, communicating along the the road. Um, it's it's common for things to kind of evolve. But um, that's where we're at right now and, and really happy with it. So I guess a question that I have often wondered is, to me, it would seem that Maybe it's my small mindset, but is there, does there typically tend to be a sort of a leader in the relationship? Someone who kind of, you know, kind of makes most of the decisions or not, or kind of guides the relationship either generally speaking or romantically? Honestly, I think it really depends on what that dynamic looks like. So, you know, the concept of equal partnership in a traditional binary relationship is, is, you know, something that I have always valued when I was in binary relationships. And I find that polyamory is very similar. Mm. It's important to us that as a triad, we all have an equal voice in what happens. There's no one person whose job it is to boss the other two around. Uh, sure. I mean, you know, certainly there, are, I'm sure there are some people who choose that dynamic, right? But that's a choice. Um, and in fact, I would argue that if it's not a choice and somebody's dominating the dynamic, that's probably not a good relationship. But for us, you know, we we all consider ourselves equal partners for sure. But maybe just to give an example of a handful of other structures that I think are really common. So polyamory is interesting because it kind of comes with its own set of vocabulary. There are words we use to describe the relationship between partners and the different types and flavors of partners that are out there. So for instance, in our case, you know, we're, we're three adults and we all live together. We own a house together. And like I said, we're, we're actually very bland in that way. So, you know, that's our structure is closed triad, but we also would consider ourselves like primary partners. So primary partner is like the person that, you know, if you have multiple relationships, your primary partner might be the person you prioritize above those other relationships. 
Likewise, because we all live together, we own a house together, we would also be considered nesting partners. So sometimes, you know, you live with all of your partners and sometimes you might live alone and have partners all outside of the house, or you might live with one partner and still see other people. So primary partner, nesting partner, those are words you can kind of use to describe the the various structure of how your relationships all play out. A couple of other words that are interesting that I, I think people might be uh, interested in knowing. So right now, the three of us were one family unit, and we would consider that a polycule, which is kind of like a, a cute little word to describe like the mapping out of your relationships. But just to give an example, if you've got a couple of people who are dating and they might each have another couple of partners, you know that cluster of folks would then sort of be considered a polycule. So polycules come in all kinds of structures, um, which I think is, you know, a cute little play on the the term molecule, which also come in all kinds of structures and bonds. So everything looks different. And all of those different types of relationships have different dynamics, just depending on who you're engaging with and what that relationship looks like. I think that uh, when John and I answered the question, the Facebook group, at first I said no, but then I had to think back. And actually, uh, for a short time period, we had a roommate who was part of a, I guess what you would call a closed triad that I had completely forgotten about. But he was living with us for a time period because he was working in Denver and he had two husbands and his two husbands lived in Portland. And so... Like you were describing, there's all these different flavors of what the relationship would look like. How did you find yourself in this kind of relationship? Yeah, so I discovered polyamory, I guess. I say discovered. It's not like I like found a mountain and climbed it and like planted a flag in it, right? <laughs> right. Um, I was actually at a festival and a handsome looking guy actually approached me and asked extremely politely if he could have my consent to kiss him. And I was like, I don't know. I see you have a girlfriend. Is that allowed? And he was like, it's cool. It's totally allowed. You can meet her if you want. And I was like, what? what the actual hell is going on? <laughs> this is this is completely new to me. And I was like, one, are you a skis? Two, your girlfriend is extremely nice and was sort of like, go get him, tiger, you know? So that's like my first foray into polyamory was almost by accident, just, you know, meeting somebody poly and having them explain like, yeah, this is on the up and up, it's fine. And as I started to do more research, because I got home and I was like, okay, what happened? Started to Google it, started to figure out like, okay, this is a thing. This is this is like more and more people are engaging in polyamory. This is more and more common. So I started to actually hang out with a bunch of new friends that I met at this festival. And I was surprised to find that actually the vast majority of them were some flavor of poly, right? So they might have had like a primary partner or a nesting partner, or they might be looking for new relationships or whatever. Um, and so I started to date in an openly polyamorous way. For a, a while, I had more than one partner, but uh, I was actually living in a different city at the time. I did not have what I would consider a primary partner or a nesting partner, but I felt you know, deep love and fulfillment for the people I was dating. And I thought it was really wonderful. Then I actually got to know my two current partners at an event with mutual friends. And it sort of became one of those things where we just got to know each other. At the time, you know, they were already dating. They had been 
dating for a couple years or so. And so, you know, they had that that history there. And we actually started out as friends. It was a, a pretty long, gosh, almost a full year before we really like actually started dating. But we got to know each other and, you know, they were great, super fun people. And you know, as we started to date, things got more serious. And I sort of realized like, this feels different to me. Like this is going to be like, this is going to be big. You know, if you had that feeling about a relationship where you're like, this one's going to, this one's going to be serious. And, you know, because of my lifestyle at the time, I was technically living in two cities. I had apartments in both places and it was difficult to balance my work life and my romantic life. And I actually ended up breaking it off with my other partners to focus solely on my two current partners. And then things evolved from there. I moved back to Atlanta full time. We moved in together. And yeah, since then, you know, it's it's kind of been the the three of us doing our thing and it's been really wonderful. So it sounds like there are some similarities and some differences when it comes to poly and binary relationships. What would you say are some of the the big ones that that maybe people should be aware of? And, and you know, if you want to use this through the lens of your relationship, that's I think that's probably good because it makes sense, uh, people understanding your relationship, or if you think that there are some others that maybe would be appropriate for this conversation as we start to move more towards the, not necessarily the financial aspect, but just, just how the relationship itself is managed. Yeah. Well, I think maybe to start with some of the similarities, right? In any relationship, you sort of are figuring out your own wants and needs, and then the person or people you're with are figuring out their wants and needs. And the relationship really comes when those wants and needs intersect or overlap. And so you and the relationship kind of get to decide to what extent you're overlapping with this person. In a traditional binary relationship, though, the goal is that you get as much overlap as possible, right? In a world where you're only allowed to date or sleep with or marry one person, you want to make sure that you've got enough in common, that enough needs and your wants are are intersecting so that you can meet a lot of your partner's needs and wants and vice versa. And obviously, you know, the world comes with all kinds of other non-romantic, non-sexual relationships that help meet needs, right? Friendships and family relationships, all of that stuff is important too. But in a traditional binary relationship, you're really trying to focus on that overlap. I would say maybe the difference in a poly relationship is that you're figuring out where you overlap, but then you also have the freedom and flexibility to say, these are some needs and wants for me that are not really getting met. And so how can I find a way to to meet those needs and wants? And sometimes it is through friendship or through family or something, you know, platonic and non-romantic. But at the same time, you know, I think when you are polyamorous, you have more options and opportunities to figure out ways to, I don't want to use the phrase, get what you want, because it's, it's not like one directional, you know what I mean? But to kind of find intersections with other people, so to speak. Naturally, when you have more people involved, there's more communication, there's more negotiation, there's more navigation of the relationship that needs to happen. And I think a lot of people can look at that and say like, Ooh, that's too complicated for me. Even just talking with one partner is a lot of work. (laughs) And that's certainly the case. So that's, I would say a big difference is you can't really, you can't not communicate in a successful poly relationship. Like you'd be surprised how many traditional binary relationships 
survive despite the fact that partners aren't communicating well. But in poly, if you're not communicating, things will explode much faster. So you have to communicate. You have to be willing to talk about your feelings and talk about where you're at and what you need and what your relationships look like. There's a joke that polyamory involves a lot of Google calendars and a lot of processing. That's not necessarily wrong. But, you know, one similarity is that, you know, you're in it because you like each other. Um, It's a choice. The relationship's a choice. A lot of the mundane stuff can be the same. You know, you figure out what you want to order from the Chinese restaurant and you argue about what to watch on Netflix and (laughs) you hold hands in public, right? Like there's a lot of, you know, stuff about polyamory that's just a normal relationship, but maybe with some more, more layers involved. Yeah, I definitely would agree with you that communication sounds like it has probably one of the most important factors in and it's that's an important factor in every relationship, right? But it seems like when you have the more individuals involved, the more you need to be clear in telling people not only what your wants and needs are, but as well as making sure that you're clear on what others individuals needs and wants are and that you're taking all of that into consideration as to how like you said it, d- it doesn't blow up and <laughs> and turn into something sour instead. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, to take a look at my relationship in particular, you know, I have my relationship with one of my partners individually and the other individually. I think it's, you know, it's important for us to each get our alone time. But then, you know, it's important for me to also carve out space for them to experience their relationship together. And then you've got the dynamic between all three of us at once. And so that's definitely a difference. There's just a lot more to navigate and understand and hold space for. So that makes you a really good communicator. (laughs) You know, it has taken a lot of practice (laughs) and I think I've come a long way, but it is always, there's always more to learn. Yeah. I'll put it that way. (laughs) No, exactly. I think that every relationship is that way. We all, we need to continue to, to figure out how to be better communicators. Want to do better with your money? Of course you do. That's why Capital One Cafes and Capital One Bank offer free financial education through their money workshops and money coaching programs. Topics like tax basics, grocery shopping tips, and vacation planning are covered regularly. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. Want to be a part of the $1.7 trillion LGBT business economy? The National LGBT Chamber of Commerce New York is here for you. For your next big contract, mentor, coach, collaborator, and tons of new clients, join us at nglccny.org for the greatest concentration of LGBT and allied business leaders in New York. Now, when it comes to money, this is not only a topic that many of us feel like we can't talk about, or we have our own money issues and we're scared to to address them ourselves, but then when you involve another person, it gets more complicated. Now you're adding even more than one person. How do you manage your money as a group? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. So, Maybe we'll start with like talking about the traditional binary, which I'm sure you've you've talked a lot about on this podcast. But you know, in my opinion, as a as an advisor and coach, whenever I'm working with couples, I always tell them, your money is your own business, right? You don't have to subscribe to anybody else's view on how you as a couple need to be managing your money. If you want everything 100% combined and you're managing everything together, 
that's awesome. If you want to keep everything separate, that's awesome. If you want to find all of the places where you overlap and Venmo each other money back and forth, or if you want to get a joint account and combine some stuff, that whole spectrum between everything is separate and everything is combined, that's a personal choice on how couples want to handle that. But I would also argue that in a lot of ways, poly money is very similar, right? So you get to choose how you manage your money. You have a number of options and there's no right or wrong answer. It's really just about figuring out what's a system that's going to work for you. In our case, we actually have a joint account for the three of us and we put in the same amount every month and we use that account to pay our mortgage, pay all of our bills and utilities, grocery shop. If we go out to dinner and it's the three of us or if we're traveling, we'll sometimes pull money from that account as well. But, you know, then we also have a bunch of individual bills and expenses, and we all maintain separate accounts for those. We've just found that that's something that kind of works well for us. It eliminates a lot of the stress involved with trying to transfer money between multiple people. It's easy to Venmo one partner money back and forth, but if there's three, it kind of gets a little bit hairy. And so we have our, our bank account through Ally, we contribute on a regular basis, and then we maintain our own separate finances on the side. And I think that's, you know, that's common for folks in poly relationships who have a lot of overlap on living expenses. If you live with somebody, if you're sharing bills, if you have, you know, sort of the multiple roommate type situation, I mean, that can definitely take some of the logistical difficulty off, we'll say. But the flip side is, you know, when I was dating multiple partners before entering my current family structure, I really didn't share finances with any of them. And that wasn't a negative reflection on the relationship. It was just the fact that, you know, we we lived in different houses. We lived in different cities. We didn't have kids together. We didn't have a lot of points of financial intersection. And so, you know, in those relationships, our goal was to say, if we're spending money together on things like dates, how can we approach that piece of our finances in a way that feels fair, right? Do we pay equally? Do we take turns buying dinner for each other? Is one person maybe taking on more of those expenses just due to income differences? You know, that was something that we were negotiating on a smaller scale, which again, you know, even if you're in a, in a partnership and you're not married or you're, you're just starting to date somebody in like a binary relationship, those are conversations you might have early on in that relationship anyway. It's just that when you are polyamorous and you're dating more people and you're maybe engaging in more types of relationship at once with some people you're having the, Hey, should we share a bank account conversation? And with some people, it might be, do you want me to pick the tab up or are you going to pick the tab up tonight? Right? So a lot of the conversations are the same. It might just be that you're having multiple conversations simultaneously. So do you think that, that because of this need for better communication when you're in a poly relationship or multiple relationships, do you think that that lends itself to having the money conversation earlier than, say, most binary couples would have? I would say that probably depends a lot on the people involved. You know, polyamorous humans are still very much human. Um, And humans don't love talking about money. So (laughs) even in highly communicative relationships, I find that money can be a difficult topic. And I think there's probably still a lot of work to be done in the poly space about having healthy financial conversations. So I think there's certainly 
the communication aspect maybe makes it a good breeding ground for those kinds of conversations. But at the end of the day, you know, people are going to talk about what they're comfortable talking about. Yeah, that's true. So it sounds like there's a lot of things to think about when it comes to managing money in the relationship. Especially, I think you have to look at the foundation of the dynamic of the relationship or relationships. Are there any tools that you either recommend for individuals that you've worked with or that you as in your relationship find helpful? Yeah. So I think the first thing is finding a really good bank that allows more than two people on a joint account. So we use Ally Bank, which I feel like is aptly named for this situation. Other tools that I've seen people use in, I think, both binary and polyamorous relationships, when you have a credit card, you know, you have a main user, but then you have a number of authorized users who can also access and charge on that account. That's a tool that I've seen people use to manage money. That one, obviously, as a coach, I'm like, be careful with credit, right? Be careful with credit cards. Yes. (laughs) Uh, That one requires a lot of very good conversation. But from the standpoint of being able to dip your toes in the water in a relatively low stakes way, that's one option. Unfortunately, there aren't a ton of very good apps. There's been a number of like budget sharing or data sharing, even um, talking about money apps that have kind of sprung up for binary relationships. I'm not seeing as much of that stuff in the poly space, unfortunately. And so it kind of means that in a lot of ways, you have to develop your own tools and develop your own conversations as a group. The one other thing that I'll just say real quick is like, the good old fashioned spreadsheet. <laughs> Our friend Excel is arguably one of the best tools at all. And the good news is anybody can use it. So using spreadsheets to really figure out and add up what all of your joint expenses are and you know how you want to divide that. Sometimes, you know, that conversation and that spreadsheet is like the only tools you really need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I will admit, and we say this over and over again, that I still use Excel on a regular basis for our budget, even though we also use some budgeting tools, but Excel is the one that I seem to go back to all the time because I've gotten so used to having a certain set of information in the one spreadsheet that I use over and over again, so... Yeah, totally. That's like one of the number one questions I get from folks in general. It's like, what budget apps do you like? And I'm like, ah, the good old (laughs) Google Sheets. (laughs) That's where all of my budgets live for the most part. So I feel like a lot of what we've talked about seems to be leaning more towards the day-to-day personal finance management. When it comes to long-term financial planning and planning for retirement and those sort of bigger long-term life goals, is that discussion similar? Are you guys talking in tandem about what your retirement looks like and how you're all saving for retirement together or even, I guess, separately? Yeah. I think if you are in a situation where your financial futures are intertwined such that you can see yourself hanging out on a beach in retirement, sipping a Mai Tai or a non-alcoholic beverage of your choice with your partner or partners, then that's a good opportunity to start talking about retirement. And I, I would say if your goal is to be with somebody for life, then retirement has to be a part of that conversation, Absolutely. whether you're in a traditional binary relationship or in a polyamorous one. The challenge again, is that a lot of the traditional like DIY retirement apps and tools and calculators are kind of really designed for either one person to figure out their own 
you know, retirement numbers, how much income you, your portfolio might generate in retirement or you and your spouse. And so even on the financial planning side, when I've worked with polyamorous families, I've had to do some, some creative behind the scenes work to try and say, you know, we've got three people, three consenting adults on this financial plan. How can we make sure that all of your interests are represented? How can we make sure that you are comfortable making sure that your retirement plans are intertwined? And oftentimes that really boils down first to a conversation about, well, what are your retirement goals? What do you want your retirement to look like? Is there overlap there? How much is the lifestyle going to cost? Oh, again, the same the same thing you would do in like a normal financial planning relationship, starting with goals first. Right. Um, and then what are the resources that are available to you to help you reach those goals? And then the, I think the additional layer is like, to what extent are you comfortable sharing those resources? So if one partner is not as prepared for retirement, how do you want to handle that situation? Are you comfortable as a partner picking up the slack or contributing more or helping them get caught up? And that's, you know, obviously the answer to that is just going to vary depending on your relationship and, and what you what you want out of that financial plan and how comfortable you are doing that. But, you know, in the same way that if you have two spouses and one is the main breadwinner, one spouse might have sort of agreed up front that it's their responsibility to help plan for the other person's retirement. You know, I think a poly relationship can be the same way if that's what people decide it should look like. And so then it really becomes a matter of saying, again, how much do our finances interlap? How much are we comfortable having them interlap? And what are we going to do? How are we going to handle it if one person isn't necessarily filling their end of the retirement bargain? What does that situation look like too? And how much are we as a partner or partners willing to step in and make sure that everybody is on the same page later on down the road, financially speaking. Yeah. yeah when it comes to, I think both retirement as well as taxes, which I have a you know, tax question, I think maybe a little bit further down the line, but when it comes to all of this, oftentimes the benefits are really apparent when you see it happening in a binary relationship, right? There's the tax benefits for retirement. There's the marriage, all the laws around marriage and the benefits that come from that. And even some of the day-to-day, I think, benefits of being in a relationship. Do you find that there's some similarities between binary and poly relationships when it comes to financial benefits of being in a more than two individuals? Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely pros and cons. I would say benefits from the traditional standpoint is definitely a tricky business. So in in my case, all three of us, there's no two of us that are legally married. So we're three unmarried adults. And that means that we're not really eligible for one another's benefits through work or anything like that. And so uh, that can be really tricky if we were ever in a situation where one partner needed to take advantage of another workplace benefits. I mean, we've talked about it in our case, we would be comfortable with something like a legal marriage between two people in a way that made financial sense. It would probably come with some sort of, you know, commitment ceremony for the three of us so that we would still maintain our feeling of like a joyful and equal partnership. But you know, that's something that we've talked about. If we ever need to take advantage of of marital benefits, we would be willing to have that very logistical conversation in order to do so. But the flip side is that if you are in a traditional binary relationship, you know, you are sharing your household with one other person and potentially kids. And unless you want to take on a roommate or like a short-term visitor or something, you're covering all of your household expenses using one or two adults' money. And our 
our case, I mean, we joke that we're tinks, we're triple income, no kids. And so, you know, we were able to buy a house that we're pretty comfortable in with the three of us because it's three incomes contributing to all of our expenses. And I would say, you know, we don't live lavishly by any means, but if you've got four people living together in a relationship, you know, your household expenses are pretty darn inexpensive. So the financial benefits conversation cuts both ways. Sometimes it can really hurt poly families. And sometimes, you know, we've got a little bit of a leg up. (laughs) Yeah, I, I definitely, the marriage laws, historically, they've definitely been there for heteronormative relationships. But now we've got more for the L's and the G's. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I know that this is going to take some time, but I hope that those kinds of benefits start to overlap in or become a part of poly relationships. Because like you say, if if you're going to be together for the rest of your lives, those benefits are really designed for the individuals that you plan on spending the rest of your life with. And so they should be spread out to other individuals. It's just going to take a long time, I think, to get there. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is too. And I definitely agree with you. I mean, I think there's, obviously, there's a lot of baggage in this country surrounding polygamy and its problematic roots. Um, And I, you know, I think when I came out to my parents as being bisexual and then as being polyamorous and they were like, oh my God, you're a sister wife. (laughs) I was like, okay, hold the phone. (laughs) Absolutely not. It's not like that. And, you know, even at home, I had to kind of unpack a lot of things for my, my well-intentioned parents who admittedly were very nervous. You know, they're like, what do you mean you're dating a couple? They were worried about me and they love me. But at the same time, you know, I, if I think about trying to explain this lifestyle to my, my well-intentioned family who loves me very much, trying to explain my lifestyle to government bureaucrats <laughs> is an even harder sell. So yeah, I, I think eventually we'll get there, but it's going to take a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we mentioned this idea of taxes. I suppose that if there's no marriage involved, then there's no really opportunity for taxes to be handled any differently than all three of you saying that you're single, filing as singles. Yeah. And again, in some polyamorous relationships, if you have a primary nesting partner who you have kids with, you might be married in a polyamorous relationship. I mean, I know many poly friends of mine who are, who have marriages and, you know, they reap those sweet, sweet tax benefits and I'm all for it. And, you know, they might have other partners who they just don't have a lot of financial overlap with or financial entanglement with. And I think that's fine too. But in our case, you know, we're all the single tax filers and our CPA is also Polly. And I have had this conversation with her as well, you know, kind of jokingly tongue in cheek, like, hey, let me know if it ever makes sense for any two of us to get married to save a ton of money on taxes. And we'll, we'll talk about what that looks like. But for now, you know, I personally am am comfortable with the way that we are, we are handling the tax situation in particular. I suppose that taxes for you all now is very similar to what it was for gays and lesbians who were in binary relationships in the past that there was this constant, okay, let's do it this way. And does it make more sense for us to file married? Or does it make more sense for us to file not married before we go down that path, right? So are there going to be tax benefits if we file as married? Because there are some drawbacks to filing as married, uh, especially if you have 
disparate incomes or one individual is on a uh, income-based repayment plan for student loans. So I would think that when it comes to your relationship, then you're going to have to weigh the costs. Okay, right now, does it make sense for any two individuals to think about getting married and filing as married? Yeah, definitely. And I think in a lot of ways, taxes are maybe an easier part of the conversation just from the standpoint of there is a way to file taxes that saves money. Hmm. And, you know, a good CPA can help you run the numbers. Exactly like you said, I work with a lot of planning clients who are in traditional binary relationships where one has a ton of student loans or one makes way more money. And so that's just a common part of any relationship is like, well, what's just the optimal way to pay taxes? Right. It's also a, maybe an easier point of conversation because everybody tends to be on the same page. Mm. I've not met anybody in relationships where one person's like, I want to pay as much money as possible <laughs> to taxes. And the other one's like, I want to minimize our tax burden, right? right? We all want to pay less in taxes. And so it really is just a matter of, well, what is the best way to pay less in taxes? Obviously, legally. And And then if that comes with any emotional connotations, you know, we've kind of committed to working that stuff out on the back end. Like if our CPA told us, hey, you know, this person and this person really should be married and you would save thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, we would use those thousands of dollars to get a good polytherapist who can help us sort out our feelings (laughs) about two people getting married, right? Like, but that's, but that's just us, you know, that's just us. So it sounds like every time we have some of these uh, more unique discussions, it always, to me, it comes down to, even just with the binary relationship, the more you communicate and talk with each other, and possibly the sooner you can have that conversation about money, the the better and more easily everything goes. What advice would you give to folks in poly relationships to start that money conversation, since it is so scary for some people? Yeah, I think... Rather than focusing the conversation on trying to change a certain structure, I think the conversation has to start with just first understanding the structure. And when you're starting to date somebody or multiple somebodies, that's a natural part. Like, who are the other important people in your life that I should know about? So if you're from a binary relationship standpoint, it's like, tell me about your best friend. Tell me about your experiences growing up. Tell me about your parents and your family and your loved ones. And naturally, you know, I think as part of the poly conversation that that happens too. tell me about your loved ones. Tell me about your other partners. Tell me about your kids. Tell like, what are all those humans in your life like? And what, how are you currently interacting with one another? So starting to kind of get out on the table, like, who are you sharing finances with currently? What does that structure look like for you? What are you comfortable with? I think a lot of times we tend to save communication for when we're in crisis mode, when it comes to money, where we wait to talk about it until there's a problem. And then all of a sudden the conversation is about trying to solve a problem, but we don't, we haven't really laid the groundwork of like how to communicate or, you know, what good communication looks like when it comes to money. But I think in this way, if you're used to talking about your various financial systems, if you're used to talking with your partner or partners about how they're managing their money and who they have financial overlap with, then if a problem does arise, you kind of know each other's systems, you know each other's processes, and you've laid that groundwork so that you're not trying to figure out how things are done and solve a problem. You kind of already know the landscape, and then you can really put your heads together and say like, oh, this is a new financial situation for us to discuss. Let's let's dig in and actually fix it because we're comfortable having these conversations. Does that make sense? It, it does. And it's clear that you have uh, 
not only thought about and had to deal with this on your own, but you've helped other people deal with this <laughs> in this in these kinds of situations. You're a good communicator to convey this kind of information, probably because you have a lot of practice in this. So we really I appreciate do have a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah. We really appreciate you coming on the show to 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 kind of broach this subject for us. Because as I said at the outset, John and I are not familiar with or have not worked with individuals in a poly relationship. So thanks for helping us understand this and sharing it with our audience. As I mentioned in the outset, your website is youngandscrappy.com. Is that correct? That's correct. And then you are also a planner and a uh, financial coach. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience or ways that they can connect with you if they choose to? Yeah. So I think just one one final thing that I'll I'll share is like my big key takeaway. As with anything, you know, you have agency over your money, you have agency over the relationships you engage in, and you have you have the opportunity to build relationships and financial systems that feel right for you and your partnerships. So just know that like I hope people listen to this and feel very empowered. Money shouldn't be something that you shy away from just because your relationship might look a little bit non-traditional. Doesn't mean that you don't really have the the right and opportunity to have these really healthy, good money conversations. If folks want to connect with me, I'd love if you check out my website, youngandscrappy.com or follow me on Instagram at theyoungscrappy. I am active on both of those places and would love to connect. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle, for giving us a glimpse inside your world and showing some of us a little of what polyamory is. For our polyamorous listeners who are looking for a more customized money help with your relationship, please visit Michelle at youngandscrappy.com. Remember, we make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com, and we may answer it in an upcoming episode. Thank you, and have a great week. The Defrey guys want to encourage you to exercise extra caution right now, as there have been an increased number of fraud, phishing, and other scams during the COVID-19 crisis. Remember, the foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke, is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. Bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score powered by Experium Boost and watch your credit score improve between 5 and 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to DebtFreeGuys.com forward slash boost. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.